Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News, reporting live from the Stanley Cup Final. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn... You know, I'm likely the finest man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Clint Malarczyk. There's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the UNLV Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with my esteemed co-host, Chris Lisa, New York Islanders writer for Eye on Isles. You can find him on Twitter, at the NL King. We've got a great show today. Justin Bradford, the author of Making of Smashville, is coming in. We're going to be talking some Nashville Predators. Dana Lane, as always, is going to take us down the Vegas lane. We're going to break down Vadim Slipichayov, or... Um, we're still working on the name, but uh, the second player in Golden Knights history. Chris, good day to you, sir. Uh, good day to you, sir, and God bless you. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> well, super shy off almost sounds like you're sneezing there. So, uh, yeah, yeah so about. I think we start. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of breaking the ice, segment one. Uh, we have to start off with a point from uh, that soothsayer down in Dallas, Texas, who told me right after the trade deadline, uh, Mr. Matt Pryor, a good friend of the show, you can follow him on Twitter at BigTex1926. He said, Chris, the, the Hurricanes have three second-round picks and three third-round picks. He goes, I see them as an all-season player using those picks before the protectionalists have to be uh, submitted and adding some proven NHL talent. Well, lo and behold, that's what the Hurricanes did this past week. They traded a third-round pick for Scott Darling's right, and they were able to get him signed very quickly, a four-year deal, $16.6 million. And uh, when I went on Twitter yesterday to praise the soothsayer Matt Pryor, he said they're not done yet. So he, he thinks they have another move or maybe two using those picks, maybe with a team with protection problems. And, uh, to add a defenseman. So uh, uh, that was a good move by Carolina. Yes, and it, along those same lines, you could insert Anaheim Ducks, Car- Carolina Panthers, and the Carolina Panthers, Hurricanes as uh, trade partners if they're going to go out and get a defenseman because that's what, what uh, Anaheim is certainly looking to lose in the expansion draft. What does that do for the, the goaltending situation then in Carolina, sir? I think Eddie Lack is a free agent. Um, if not, he only has one year to go, and he's not making a lot of money. And I think Cam Ward signed for one more year, so he'll be the goalie that will be exposed. And I, I doubt that he'll be taken. Uh, so put on my head. Uh, so then they'll go with a tandem of Ward and, and Scott Dowling. Now, does correct me if I'm wrong, Cam Ward does or does not have a – no movement, no trade clause, or, or is that not true? Uh, I don't think he has one. Uh, he signed a two-year deal, so I, I doubt they would put him in that kind of position. Um, uh, I want to say with 99.9% certainty, he does not. Um, okay. Uh, Plus, uh, so, I'm yeah, thinking his last 
when when he signed after his deal after he had his cup run then is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I think he had one then, right. but maybe that expired and they did not put one in his deal. Yeah. I was I was yeah, gonna go conspiracy theory on you and yeah, say that he has the no movement clause. He's not gonna waive it and the Scott Darling is actually a Vegas contract. But yeah, that was <laughs> I, mean, nice I, I was gonna go not bad. Yeah, Scott Darling, uh, you know, he he's been a, a bit of a late bloomer, been more of a backup guy, but he could be like uh, like Thomas Grice with the Islanders, a guy who's always been viewed as a backup but never given a chance at the full time job. Uh, he played a lot last year, and now he's going to get that chance. He got rewarded with a very nice contract, four years, sixteen point six million. I thought it was interesting when they traded for him. Just last point on this, and we'll get to the playoff series. But I thought it was interesting. Because if you're Scott Dolan, you know, what assurances do you have that outside the next year that the Hurricanes will be in Carolina? So, uh, but that didn't stop him. He, signed, he, got, his, he got a nice contract, and uh, if they move, they move. That must be his tack. Yeah. Um, it, it, alert Quebec City. They might have just got their goaltender. <laughs> Quite possibly, sir. So you mentioned okay, well, Anaheim and Edmonton. Oh, Anaheim, what did you uh did yeah. you see the end of that game last night? I, I was uh catching these as it was in the wee hours of the morning, but a little bit different from you, so let's I'd like to hear your perspective. I did I did not. I, I, I was running around with my, my daughter going to Taekwondo uh tournament and I, I left the house, it was two nothing Edmonton. Um woke up and it was Four three final, I believe, uh, with some crazy overtime with a cra- crazy conflict. Oh my goodness! Are we ever going to get this goaltender interference thing right? Well, I think that's the problem, right? Uh, does anyone really, other than something just beyond, uh, you know, bleat? Does anyone does the, has the league really set down a standard? What is goalie interference? I mean, it was mayhem in front of the crease. He kind of got knocked in there. He got knocked in again. Uh, I mean, obviously, he was trying, you know, it, it happened within seconds of him being in the crease. I, I mean, are you really going to take a goal away there? Uh, I do not uh, want to get back to the days in uh, the 90s or whenever it was. Someone had the edge of their skate in the blue paint and had nothing to do with the play, and they took away goals. But uh, obviously, that was a far cry from that. But. I don't know. That that would seem like a very hard play to overturn based on how inconsistent uh, the league has been officiating it on the ice and in the reviews, quite frankly. So this is something in the off season. the league has to get their house in order. And uh, I know it stinks if you're an Oilers fan for me to say that. I'd say, well, wait a minute, what about us? You know, not for nothing, but you're up 3 nothing, as Milan Lucic said in the, uh, I read today. You're up 3 nothing with you know, three and a half minutes to go, uh, you got to win the game. I'm sorry. So, um, um, I just, you know, Anaheim has shown an incredible will, uh, in my opinion, in these playoffs. And, uh, you know, they were down 2 nothing in game four, and they came back to win that game. Uh, you know, now they're one game away from uh, uh, getting back to the Western Conference Finals with this group. I'm, I'm starting to believe I, – I was a believer in this group. Uh, at this round one, I liked how they played. I liked how they went for the throat. And then they got behind, and I'm like, well, it's like I'm going to be wrong again. Uh, but they have really responded. I really liked what I've seen from them, more from a, a will and resilience, resiliency point in this series. Um, I want to go back to what you said a, a minute ago and back to this skate in the crease rule that may be the only way to get it right is to have a hard defined zone where if you're in the crease it's a penalty if you're out of the crease it's not a penalty if the goalie leaves the crease he's fair game if he's in the crease stay out of it that that rule um go back to 99 uh brett hull skate was in the crease and by definition that stanley cup winning goal should not have been allowed um, I don't think the refs on the ice had the guts to make the call in that situation, even though it was a violation of the rule. But it's it's that 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 leaves out the interpretation of well, he bumped him, he brushed him, he rubbed him, Robin's racing. What are we talking about here? Um, it's it's too too much of a judgment call, I think, right now, in my opinion. Um, 
they got to do something to to set the ground rules and, and if there's another in the crease and a goal is scored whether they're in contact with the goalie or not they want to disallow that goal i'd be fine with that yeah i i really don't want to see it go back to those i hear what you're saying but there's got to be a way even if it gets reviewed in toronto that you know you have uh, very uh, experienced uh, people and knowing what to look for that with these overhead shots that they can determine, you know, what is truly goalie interference and what isn't. And, um, you know, just like anything else. And if it's too close to call, then you stay with the call on the ice, you know, that kind of thing. Um, well, isn't, isn't there an overhead view of, of uh, him grabbing Gibson's, pad and yanking on it before the goal goes in or am i not seeing it because i, I saw a couple of views oh, from the you're overhead talking Ta- it, you're talking about talbot yeah 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 I, exactly i um, mean am i looking at that I, wrong I am i not seeing I, what i'm seeing i saw i saw the replay twice this morning like uh and i saw it quickly so to me it looked like it was just a, there was a scrum going on in there okay uh, so uh by I'm not saying you're wrong, uh, but again, uh, you know that's, that's going to be a very hard, like just like it's just like the Brett Hall thing, right or wrong, it'll be a very hard call for them to uh, to overturn. But yeah, I do think there needs to be consistency in a set of ground rules of what we're looking at here. But um, yeah, the, obviously the Oilers let that get away. It should never have gotten to that point, quite honestly. Yeah, well, I mean, look at it. There's a, the, I think the first goal went in off, off an Edmonton player, and then the second goal, I saw somebody that is just a nice play by the Ducks. And if that's all there is, and then the the, the goal's not disallowed, you could say, okay, they held on three two final. Um, right. Then that's the other, that's the other thing that gets involved when you have a a rule that's open to interpretation. How much does the game situation play into whether the referee on the ice is going to make the call? Uh, you know, oh, that you know, t- tough situation to take away a tying goal with two minutes left in the game. I don't want to make that call right now. Uh, these fans are going to be all over me. Um, I'm just going to let the goal stand. Or, you know, ho- however, there's it, it, it plays out. I, I just think there's too much too much judgment call involved in the rule right now, and and they do got to have some. Maybe if they're not in the crease, maybe if any form of contact with the goalie is made and a goal is scored. Uh, in the ensuing play, um, it automatic disallowed. You can't um, you can't just look at the situation and say, well, there's a whole lot of bodies there. It was a it was a scrum, and you know it didn't look like it mattered too much. So we're going to let the goal stand. It's, there's too much judgment calling. There's too much on the line in the playoffs to let that kind of a judgment uh, affect the team's season. Um, there's definitely right, contact, then, right? Then, I mean, there was definitely contact. Right. But what you know? What if in this case, like there's contact from the defenseman to the forward, and then you throw that into the mix, uh, you know, and all that jazz. And, and you know, it's not like you get, you know, bumped in, you know, bumped. In, you know, some of the players they do that, uh, thinking like, well, I'll do this, and even if they score, we'll get goalie interference. You know, uh, so no, for sure, for sure, I, I agree with that. I hear what you're saying, and it makes perfect sense. There has to be a better way. And uh, this is something the league's going to have to. Uh, uh, I believe they have GM meetings in June before the draft, if memory yeah. serves correct. So uh, this is this is definitely a point of contention. Uh, it's funny, you know. Last year it was the offsides, right? Everyone was going crazy about the offsides right. review, and this year it's the goalie interference. So you know they got the they got the offsides. We haven't had any offsides controversies, but it's the goalie interference that have been. Uh, have been something so uh uh but that's been a that's been a crazy series uh i i expect edmonton to put forth a big effort tomorrow like i said i really like anaheim's will i think anaheim uh, i picked anaheim in six before the series it might take seven but um you know i'm sure edmonton on home ice will come out uh you know fired up to say the least well i mean just if you look at the just the odds of the situation i don't think Anaheim is going to win all three road games in the series. So now you go back to look at game seven and then you look at Anaheim's game seven histories at home 
and I still think Edmonton's got a solid chance just based on percentages, right? I mean, you got to recover from this one. Right. Well, that's the, that could be a rallying cry, call cry from Edmonton, saying, "Hey, boys, let's let's take care of business, win on home ice, it's a one game scenario, and we know that team gets tight uh, in one game scenarios, especially in their building." But like I said, from what I've seen from this Ducks team. Uh, this looks like a little bit different group from that standpoint uh, of critical moments. So uh, uh, I, I again, I've been I've been high on them early on in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Ryan Getzlaff has been playing like a man on a mission, which is a big part of uh, you know them uh, them being a cup contender because um, he's been you know uh, dry at times to say the least. In, in the recent past, uh, especially the start season, but uh, I like what I've seen from uh, from the Ducks. Uh, I, I I know Camp Oilers over there, uh, from you and Dana and everyone else. I seem to talk to. Uh, my <laughs> speaking to speaking of NHL Dana on the ice, uh, he picked speaking the Oilers to go to the I, final. I got Dana right here, right now. Dana, what's up, buddy? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing real good, sir. Thanks for joining us. It looks like uh, me and Chris were just looking over the uh, – we tried to get to all the playoff series, and we stopped at Edmonton-Anaheim from last night. We start, a lot started to talk. and stopped. Started and stopped with Edmonton-Anaheim. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Reduke got what's a line. Dana, wait, hold on. What, so does, what, go what's, ahead. What's Dana's take? What's Dana's take? Dana, did you see the um, – the tie, uh, the tie uh, goal yeah. by Anaheim to make it three-three. Yeah. What's your, what was your thoughts on the play? Well, I have to tell you guys. I mean, look, I, I actually this week went to the internet to look up what the definition of interference was, because I I'm, I'm just, I'm a little taken back by what is and what is not. I mean, I've seen guys brush up against goaltenders and get called for interference, and it was a cr- complete melee in front of, of Talbot, and and there's no call, and then they go to a video replay, and yeah, it's good to go, no problems whatsoever. I mean, should that not have been? I mean, I don't know if there was a definitive push, or or if it, you know there was an attempt to get out of the crease. But if that is not the definition of what interference was, I mean, do you really think that Cam Talbot had a chance to stop that puck? But he, no. Was he not interfered with? I mean, that is interference. It just league. It, all the way from all the way from interference to not call to, to not suspending guys, calling calling no penalties in the capital. Capital Penguins game, and then they call nine, and you know, and two games later. I mean, it's like there's no consistency. Nobody knows what interference is. Nobody knows what a, a, a suspendable, suspendable offense is. Nobody, if a guy gets fined, but he doesn't get suspended, well, the league, by fining you by definition, is saying you did something wrong. And what you did wrong in some cases are, you know, Putting your stick where it doesn't belong, they, you know, a, a you know a cheap hit to the head, a cross check to the head, no suspensions, no nothing. Play on, boys. Dana, and Dana, what, what about Nurse hitting uh, hitting? Uh, I forget who the player was on Anaheim. Was there a bit of con? It looked like I was reading there was contact there, and I mean, like you said, it was a pure melee. But yeah, I, I mean. Certainly, there you might have been able, and this is, I'm sure, what they were looking at in Toronto. You could have said, yeah, you know, he bumped into him, but there was no, there was zero attempt to get out. And I don't remember if it was Pouliot or who it was in front of him, but there was zero attempt to get out of the crease. And, and it was basically, hey, I'm in here. This is great because I feel like I got nudged in here, and I'm going to make no attempt to get out of Talbot's way. That, that is the definition of interference. But the league does not have the stones to overturn any of those calls, 
They don't have the stones to suspend anybody. Apparently, you know, we talk all the time about how the NHL playoffs is better than the NBA, and, and it is by far, but I'll give the NBA at least some credit. At least they don't have a problem with suspending players when, when they see fit. So, no, this, Dana, this that was my point. That was my point is that uh, there's too much judgment call involved in the goaltender interference rule to the point where if it gets into a situation um, at the end of the game where there's a, uh, especially a playoff game and there's so much on the line and they're looking at it and the, it's a judgment was, well, was he pushed in? Was he not pushed in? Was there interference? Was it caused by something else? Can we really take a goal off the board in this situation in this important of a playoff game? Um, now nah, we're just going to let it stand. And that's what I was talking with, uh, right. with Chris about in the first segment is you have to have some sort of hard and fast rule that takes that judgment call out of, of off, you know, off the board. If, you know, if there is contact, if the players in the crease and there's contact with the goalie and it's not a definitive push into the goalie and a goal is scored, the, the, the goal has to be disallowed. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if it's preseason, regular season or postseason with two minutes left in the game and somebody's home building and the ref doesn't have the courage to stand up and say no goal at center ice. The, you have to make a definitive rule so the judgment call gets taken out of it. How about this? It's very simple. You get pushed in. Yes, that's one thing. But you must make an attempt to get back out. You cannot sit there and start camping out and saying, well, I got pushed in there. And and by the way, if I'm, you know, if I'm a, uh, you know, the player in front of, uh, in front of Talbot, uh, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I'm not really going to try to push these guys into my goaltender because now I'm really taking a chance that they will or will not disallow this goal. I mean, I don't think you're going to see that as much as you kind of, you think you might see that if, um, if it gets to a scenario where they're just, you know, not calling things, I don't think you're going to see people trying to push players into their goaltenders. But the fact remains that if you just say, look, you must make an attempt to get out of the crease. Then you clean that up immediately. There was no attempt yeah. to get out of the crease last night, and Raquel scores, and uh, or well, yeah, uh, they tie it up, and then Raquel scores in overtime, obviously. And and by the way, too, I don't know, you know, you could say that they were tired or whatever, but I thought Edmonton was incredibly tired slash lazy with their line changes, um, get, getting back, uh, getting back on defense. They were allowing Anaheim easily to access the offensive line. I just thought, or yeah, the offensive zone. Um, I just thought that Anaheim was, or Edmonton was extremely lazy uh, as the, uh, the the middle of the third period to the overtime took place. Yeah, I think that comes, that's going to come with experience. Well, we've spent about 15 minutes on that, so let's move on. We've got some Golden Knights news this week, sir. Uh, second player, Vadim Shipachayoff. Um Signed well, two-year four-point five. Well, that was the new one, Chipachayoff. <laughs> yeah, Chipachayoff. Okay. Chipachayoff. Chipachayoff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bless. Chris said tight earlier in the show when I gave it a shot. So one thing I like about him, and he is the third leading scorer in the KHL this year, which he had a significant bump from his previous few years. But when you go through and look at him, um. I'll go through the last three-year stats real quick. 49 games, 12 goals, 54 points. That year in the playoffs, 22 goals, 21 points. Now, now last year, 54 goals, or 54 games, 17 goals, 60 points. In the playoffs, 15 goals, 16 points. Uh, This year, 50 games, and a significant jump in his production at 30 years old. 26, 26, 50, 76. Um, Gagarin Cup, 70. 17 games in the playoffs, 19 points. So th- to me, and he, he shows the same thing in uh, when you look at his international record too. Seven games in 14, gold medal, seven points. Silver medal, 10 games, nine points. Bronze medal, 10 games, 18 points. So the, he seems to me to be a kind of player that when the games mean more and things need to get stepped up, that that is one of the intangibles um, that this cat brings. Now, I, I, I've looked at YouTube and whatever, but just going by that, I like the signing. 
Well, uh, there there absolutely is no reason not to sign him, and then the term of the contract is for two years, and why not? I mean, take a shot with him, see what you got. Uh, you knew you were going to have to overpay him a little bit because, you know, Montreal was uh, reported to be on, uh, you know, be in the mix for him as well. Um, and he really, from George McPhee's standpoint, this is going to be an expansion draft where you're going to have trouble finding scoring. So you got to have, you got to start thinking outside the box and find scoring somewhere. And, um, you know, this is, this is where we're going to start. You know, I, look, his pedigree is fantastic. I, I, I don't know how the KHL equates to the National Hockey League, but I am going to guess that he should be somewhere in that 65 to 70 point range. I think that that's, if I'm George McPhee, that's what I'm kind of looking at from him. Um, I see, and I've read a lot of stuff because, you know, honestly, everything you see is going to be some sort of a highlight, which are spectacular. His line right. is spectacular. Um, but, you know, I've read stuff that said, you know, he's skilled, he's got excellent vision, he skates well. Um, I didn't see anything that said fast. And I did see some things that said he wasn't extremely physical. So, again, let's see how that plays into the North American game. I know he's a little bit bigger than some of the guys that have come over. So, you know, hopefully that will help him. And obviously as well, uh, helping him to get somebody that, you know, he can uh, befriend in the locker room would help as well. I'm not sure if, you know, I'm not sure exactly who that is. Um, I know that there was, you know, talk about uh, Dadunov and, you know, if they were going to bring him as well. But, I mean, the things I read about him and his pedigree does not seem to be as good um, as uh, Zapacha. So, um, we'll see exactly, you know, what they do with that. I mean, I kind of made a joke today that, you know, maybe they bring, you know, Kovalchuk or whatever. But, you know, honestly, at 34 years old, maybe, you know, you might take a, a look no, through, but, you know, obviously his contract is going to be crazy. His contract yeah. would be well, crazy, and I'm sure that's not something that he wants to take a take, take on right now. Especially with his his history. Uh, we've got about three minutes left. Let me bring in Chris. I know he wants to get in on the, on the conversation here. Chris? Yeah, Dana. So what jumped out to me about this signing, like you said, the term, which was very smart, and I, I also was reading that also that there's been reports of uh, McPhee's pursuing Gevney Dandinoff, another 28-year-old forward in the KHL has done very well. And it, it says to me, I want to get your take, that, you know, that George McPhee is saying that I'm going to go this route in terms of adding some skills to the team via free agency as opposed to the NHL free agents come July 1, like a TJ Oshie or a Martin Hansel, where I have to give out five, six-year deals. Uh, I want to yeah. part of that. Uh, uh, do you, what do you think of that? It's a good point. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been I've been really high on TJ Oshie, and I know some people have said, uh, you know, I mean, you get TJ Oshie, and you know, who's gonna who's gonna get him the puck? Well, I mean, you know, I, there's been plenty of guys who've been been successful on the wing with, you know, wingers that may not be as or centermen that are may not be as good as them. I mean, I think you could certainly go out and find a centerman to play with TJ Oshie where, you know, he might not be a guy that comes in and puts up the kind of numbers he does with the Capitals, but, you know, he'll certainly put up numbers and bring a lot to your locker room as well. Um, I'm, I'm high on him, but, you know, we are in the stages of trying to feel out how George McPhee works, the type of contracts that he's willing to take on. Like, for instance, you know, do you look at Radloff, who's, you know, going to be a $6 million guy, uh, you know, for 18 goals a year? I don't think that that's where you go. Uh, but I do think that um, Shapashov has to get somebody in that locker room that he can identify with. And I'm not – I don't know about that enough because, you know, honestly what I read about him is the same thing. He needs to get stronger. He needs to get more physical. I do see that some uh, some scouts like his speed. He's a finish finisher, but I also see things like he's not very good defensively. So, you know, if you're bringing these guys in just for scoring, um, I guess uh, it's worth the chance. Um, but, um, you know, this is a guy that has had some National Hockey League time. And, and granted, it was years ago, uh, but when he was in the National Hockey League, he was less than impressive. 
Yeah, all right, me, Dana, without, all I got to I got to let you go. Hey guys, I, I got to let you go. We got our next guest on hold here. I will okay. leave I, I'll leave you I'll leave you with one thing, Dana. If they want someone in the locker room with a little Russian history, then your boy TJ Oshi fits in just fine, sir. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure the I like TJ, but yeah, I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, my friend. We will talk to you next week, sir. All right, brother. Have a good day. Thank you, sir. All right. Now we're gonna bring in Justin Bradford, the author of The Making of Smashville, and the host and lead writer of Penalty Box Radio. Justin, welcome to the show, sir. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Ah, oh, we appreciate it. We appreciate the time. There's uh Pretty interesting hockey game getting underway right now. So thanks again for taking the time to uh, jump on and talk a little bit about Smashville with us. Talk, talk a little bit about the book because I imagine, and I haven't read it, shame on me, um, I plan on picking it up. I'm sure it's available on Amazon.com and, and everywhere like that. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, all, all those uh, online book retailers. I think Amazon might have the best price right now. So that'd be the place to okay. go. <laughs> So uh, the making of Smashville is this. Um, give me a little background and, and what can what can Las Vegas learn from the making of Smashville in a non-traditional market and obviously widely seen around the league as a successful franchise. What can what can the creator, Mr. Foley and George McPhee, take take out of that model? Yeah, that, that's actually that's this is the first time I've been asked that question. And it is an excellent question. Uh, the big thing with Nashville that, relative to Vegas, that is already starting off great is that they're putting it in downtown, <laughs> putting the team there, yeah. putting the arena there where it's easy to access, where all the majority of activity is. And we see it so much with Nashville. The biggest thing, going back to the history there, is downtown Nashville didn't used to be with what most people know now as the It City, where the, the mecca of tourism in the south and with music everywhere, the 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 bars and restaurants and people everywhere, tourism booming, as well as sports downtown. It didn't used to be like that before 1996 when Bridgestone Arena finally opened. Uh, so it's over 20 years old now. And before that, it was some adult bookstores and some shady areas. The, the honky-tonks and bars were there, but it wasn't necessarily safe. Uh, like it is much more now in terms of the tourism industry to where you have restaurants and things opening up like that. So when Bridgestone Arena opened downtown, it opened up a whole new world of business opportunity in downtown Nashville and forced a lot of the other industries out, like the, the adult industry that was uh, pretty prevalent downtown and moved a lot of things or outside of downtown Nashville back to downtown because now you had foot traffic, and not just for the Predators, but you also had a place to host big concerts, big conventions, big events that would bring people down there for tourism to stay in hotels downtown, and it really is what sparked downtown and into growing to what it is today. Now, Las Vegas, obviously already being successful with the Strip, what they already have on their hands is a place to where maybe there's a casual sports fan, maybe there's a person looking for something to do in Vegas that they don't have a show to go to that night, they don't have any plans. Well, now there's a hockey game there. There's stuff that's going on there as well, or maybe they can catch a college hockey. There, there's so many opportunities downtown now by being easy to access, and that's one of those issues that I've pointed out a lot now with some of these teams that struggle with attendance numbers that maybe aren't in a traditional area, but you also look in Canada with Ottawa that has struggled with attendance issues in the playoffs. But you look at how they're 26 kilometers, and I'll use kilometers because it's in Canada, kilometers away from the downtown city center, it hurts when you think just to the west of the arena in Canada that it's green, it's pastures and, and fields and everything, and it's yeah. not by a city center. And then you look at Arizona, same thing. You put it out the That's edge of the desert, exactly. Florida, on the edge of the Everglades. You have all these arenas in the wrong positions to make a team successful. Vegas is already off to a good start right there just by having the arena where the people are. No, that's a that's a great point, and I think that was what um, a long time ago when I first met Bill Foley. I asked him what you know what made him. You know, he's from Florida. What made him dive in, take take the you know he took he took the hook, line, and sinker. He moved part of his businesses here. He moved himself here. Um, what was it that that made him push Vegas over the top? And and you know what a lot of people back then thought was going to be a very challenging market to break into. And is he looked me right in the eye and he said the arena, 
it's it's uh privately funded there's no there's no uh you know kickback or, or pullback from the public about the arena we're going to have a really good lease agreement and it's right in the middle of the action um so you know mr foley himself agrees with you 100 percent uh what about what about community outreach what did they do early in their in their history there to to build it into the smashville culture that it is today you know, they, they really set it up right in terms of having the right people there. Barry Trotz, first head coach for the National Predators, right. he, he was the right person for the job because he understood that education was important. And, and the organization did, too, in terms of reaching out. I mean, just in marketing in general, they, they went to the target and they got country music stars to help out. Uh, Vince Gill, Amy Grant, Garth Brooks, you know, the, the, especially the big names back in the 90s, uh, to, to help out in terms of helping to sell the team. And once you sold it, okay, well, how do we educate people? So it's getting out into the community and, and doing community talks and going to, to bring hockey out to the public. And they still do that nowadays. But it was a lot of things like Hockey 101, which is what would air over the in-arena broadcast during games. So if you wanted to listen in to the in-arena radio, then you'd have what's called Hockey 101, and where you're teaching you simple things, just the rules. Why was this offside? What is icing? What is this penalty for? Things like that. And while some people may laugh at that, that's how you grow the sport is teaching people and not looking down upon them for not understanding. If you want to grow the sport, you have to help educate people without having to look down your nose aspect. And that's going to be very, Which very is prevalent in Las Vegas. Yeah, very, very prevalent. In, in, the, ho- in the hockey teams, community. Yeah, in the hockey community. That's, yeah. Uh, you obviously didn't play hockey growing up. Um, you, I mean, you get that all the time. Um, you know, that's funny because there's similarities in what they did here, too, when they started the ticket drive. You had Daniel Negreanu. You had Floyd Mayweather, you know, poker players, boxers, mm-hmm. UFC fighters. Dana, Dana White was involved in promoting the thing. And, you know, they identified through, you know, obviously different culture, but through the through the people in the community that people here that live here identify with as as local people. Um and they were they set up the founding fifty and used those people as outrage. So in that, now I'm wondering if Mr. Foley and the the Predators owner had some conversations about what it what it would take to engage the community because I'm seeing a lot of similarities in what you're saying. Um, it's really an interesting conversation. We could have a show on this all by itself, but let's get into some <laughs> hockey. Um, sure. Real tight game. Real tight game last night. Uh, St. Louis comes out on top two one. Uh, Preds still have the opportunity to go home and close it out on 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 home ice. Um, what are you seeing so far in this series? What for me, it's been my favorite goaltending battle um, so far in these playoffs, first round and second round included. Rene, I don't know what he had from about the last month of the season uh, and right up into and including the playoffs, but he kind of I don't know if the barbecue down there got better for him or the drinking water, but re- <laughs> he's really been standing on his head. The the big thing with Pecorine is rest. And by having a very capable backup in Yusuf Soros, who, as many people in Nashville may laugh, is not eligible for the expansion draft. <laughs> Yusuf Soros <laughs> being a very capable backup helps Pecorine in terms of, since Pecorine's rookie year, this is the least amount of games he's played in the regular season this, this season. And that's huge because Pecorine has been a workhorse where he's playing 70-plus games sometimes. And, you know, right. you get tired, especially the goalie, and he's into his mid-30s now, gets tired. So him being fresh is one of the major things that has really helped him. I mean, he has a one four one goals against average in the playoffs and already deep into the second round. That's pretty incredible looking at numbers like that and a nine five one save percentage. So Pecorini is on fire, but a lot of it I think has to do with rest, that he's able to kick it up into another level in the playoffs because he has the ability to, where in years past, when they've had to lean so heavily on Pecorino in the regular season that he hasn't had any more juice to really give. I mean, he gives out easily in the playoffs. We've seen that. We all knew, especially against Chicago, that Pecorino was going to have to take it to another level, and he has, and he's kept that level really high against St. Louis Blues. And one of those big things between these two teams, the close games that you mentioned, a 2-1 loss there, and there was a 3-2 loss in game two, is the Predators have played their two worst games in the playoffs and still been in the game. And that's pretty incredible to play your worst games and they're really ticked off at themselves where they're not happy with their performance and only lose by one goal. Usually that doesn't happen when you play your absolute worst game to still be in it and still have a chance to tie it or even win the game that late in the game as well. And before last night, the Predators only trailed for 3.41, under four minutes 
in this entire series, which is incredible in itself. So I think that's a good sign for the Nashville Predators is that even when they play their worst, they're still not out of a game, and they looked pretty sloppy last night in, in Game 5. Well, I'm Mark Warner, and we're talking with Justin Bradford on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Um, along with Chris Lisa, I want to bring in my co-host now, Chris. I know you've got a, a few things to go over with you, sir, Chris. Hey, Justin. Great to have, uh, great to speak with you again. So uh, give me your view so far of this series in terms of, from, obviously, from the Predators' standpoint, what have you liked about their game so far overall? And I know you're a Preds guy, but from a Blues perspective, what what you've seen from them that you really like? Well, I'll start out with the Blues, and major credit to them, especially with goaltender Jake Allen. This could have easily, I think, been another sweep in the Predators' favor, if not for goaltender Jake Allen. There have been so many games where he has stood on his head to keep the Blues in it or to keep them even close in some games, going back to the to games in Nashville. And, and, and even the games when the Predators were playing their worst, Jake Allen has saved their rears multiple times. So if not for him, this series, I think, could have been completely lopsided. So he has been absolutely stellar as well because you have guys like Vladimir Tarasenko who really hasn't been able to bust through like you'd expect him to in the playoffs. I mean, Tarasenko only with five points in ten games. And St. Louis has been right. scoring with as much depth power as the Nashville Predators. So Jake Allen is one of those things for the future the St. Louis Blues are relying upon. Now they need to build around what they, what they have from there because they don't have anyone over eight points. Jaden Schwartz has eight points in ten games. Now with the Predators, though, when you look at them, they're not top-heavy. They've had depth scoring, and that's what's really helped them. And so with this series, what, what I'm seeing out of it has been kind of a grudge match battle trying to figure out what's going to happen, the physical play. We've seen the physical play really ramp up up until maybe yesterday when the referees tried to get it under control if they still weren't consistent. And so what I've seen in terms of strategy and game plans, the Predators obviously had to change the way they approach the game compared to the, to, compared to the Chicago Blackhawks because the Blues are a much bigger, burlier team in Chicago that has more of the smaller skill guys. So obviously physicality is going to be huge. On a fourth line that has guys like Scotty Upshaw and Ryan Reeves on there compared to a much smaller fourth line full of rookies, even with the Chicago Blackhawks. So the game plan's changed, and where the Predators have been the most successful in the series is when they haven't fallen into playing St. Louis's game and they focus on their game. When they have to fall into, you know, shoving, pushing, being uber physical, that's St. Louis's game plan, and Nashville's going to lose that battle. But if they can fall into the game plan of their own, which is strong forecheck, forcing turnovers, and playing really in the corners and setting things up and and really getting zone time, like we had, a, I, was, I believe it was a minute 43 zone time in game four, where they were able to pull that off and just keep and actually get two full shifts out of lines in the offensive zone, that's when Nashville is going to really be successful is when they're able to do that. But they cannot fall into that physical battle to where all they're doing is hitting people and then forcing guys off the puck because St. Louis will win that battle. Who has surprised you in the Predators, uh, Justin, with their play in the playoffs so far, obviously in a positive way? Who who you say, wow, this guy's playing great. Uh, I thought he could be a contributor, but I didn't see this coming. I think Ryan Ellis would, would be that guy. He's a guy that we knew was capable of having the kind of performance that he has. But it's not just capable performance now. He is so far having a con Smythe capable performance in these playoffs. Nine points in nine games, four goals, five assists. He was running a seven-game point streak in the playoffs as well. He has stepped it up and shown what he's capable of doing, and it kind of reminds us of what he was able to do with the Windsor Spitfires when he was setting records in the OHL, and that's what we always knew Ryan Ellis was capable of, even for a small guy. He doesn't play like with the type of effort that he puts in on the ice, whether it's saving a puck from going into the net. and use, We've seen him multiple times in the regular season. I think more of a national audience got to see what he's able to do when he's quote-unquote out of position as he says, to be able to keep the puck from going in the net, whether it's using his glove, his body, whatever, he's willing to block shots. He's, he has a hell of a shot as well that is really underrated in terms of the laser that he can fire from the point. But he's also a very smart defenseman. And there's a reason why the National Predators added him to the leadership group midseason to where he'll wear an A if one of the other leaders are out because he proves it with his demonstration on the ice and how he acts in the locker room as well. He is a true leader on this team, and he's really, really come to that throughout these playoffs with his style of play and what he's been able to do as what is now a first-pairing defenseman. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm not trying to jinx them, but I, I think Nashville is going to find 
uh, a way to don't win do it. Series. <laughs> uh, so I just want to get your opinion because we probably won't have you back on before the Western Conference Finals if that happens. How does Nashville match up in a potential series with either Edmonton or Anaheim? The good thing about Anaheim is Nashville has their number <laughs> in the playoffs lately where they're able to take them out last season in seven games, and, and they beat them a few years ago as well in, in six games. Now, not to say that that has all the history to, to lean on, but Anaheim would be playing with a little bit of chip on their shoulder against the Nashville Predators because obviously they don't like them. The, the huge difference that I would see between Edmonton and Anaheim is Anaheim plays a little bit, well, dirtier style of hockey uh, with some of the guys on their right. team, like Corey Perry. They play a little bit dirtier. Right. They, they have some bigger bodies out there. You have a center like Ryan Getzlev, who is a huge body. He's a big dude who's hard to battle off the puck. Now, when you compare that to Edmonton, and that's why it makes a very compelling series with Anaheim and Edmonton to see how they're matching up and why it's gone back and forth so much is this, the speed and the skill of the Edmonton Oilers. And I said before on my own show and the multiple people beforehand is a team like Edmonton is very, very young. But when you give young kids like that some confidence to have endless energy, it seems, they can be very, very scary. And we've seen that in spurts with the Edmonton Oilers and how scary they can be with the, with the youth and the speed that they have. So that would make for an interesting game plan that I think the Nashville Predators matching up against either one of those is if they played against Edmonton, they'd use more of the trap like they did against Chicago. If they play Anaheim, this is all considering the Predators do move on, to play against Anaheim, they'd have to do more of the physical preparation like they did against St. Louis. So it would be very interesting to see the different styles of matchups between those two teams. Well, that brings us to uh, Coach Lavio and the versatility that he's shown even so far in these playoffs with being able to switch, like you said, a, a kind of away from the trapping game and against Chicago, which obviously was effective, um, and, and into more of the the get it in, get it away, get on the forecheck, and kind of a possession, kind of using possession as a defense to where you're not giving the Tarasenkos of, of the Blues a chance so much with the puck. Um, how does Laviolette kind of compare and contrast with what Trotz did? I mean, I think Trotz is a great coach, but I, th I think Laviolette a, a, a little younger and a little is has been a big help to this, this, this version of the Predators. Yeah, Peter Laviolette, it's, it's been a big change, obviously, as we've seen the team be molded into more of what his coaching style is. And you see that with trying to bring in a center like Ryan Johansson and trade away some talent. And then also the trade, obviously the big trade, Shea Weber and P.K. Subban, whereas P.K. Subban fits more in that style of play that Peter Laviolette wants. And assistant coach Phil Housley being active on the blue line in defense when they can actively move the puck, join in the rush, but then hustle on back, back check, and still stop the opposing team on defense. That's huge. So it's obviously nothing against Shea Weber because he was a tremendous part of this franchise and this team, but his style of play did not really fit into For how sure. Peter Laviolette really needs this team. And it, it, I still will call that trade an even right now because Montreal needed that type of leadership, needed that kind of stay-at-home defenseman, and needed the quiet guy in the locker room because it's pretty apparent that they didn't like personality. Uh, but, but what we right. see with this team and, and how Peter Laviolette's built it now is that and I would I would never say that they would say this and agree to it, but it sure seems like this season that the whole plan was, you know, we don't care where we finish, just get to the playoffs, and then we have a plan. And that's exactly what it seemed like is that, you know, maybe we're not consistent. We're trying to figure things out in the regular season. Now, granted, they've got a lot of injuries on the blue line. T.K. Subban missed 16 games straight at one point uh, during the winter. And Ryan Ellis missed some time. It almost seems like every defenseman missed some time. But – when you look at the way they dismantled Chicago and even the way they've looked sometimes against St. Louis, you can tell there was a plan when they got into the playoffs, they're going to change everything up. And they really have done that with their zone time issues and the way Laviolette has set this up and even physicality when they've had to in Austin Watson leads the league in hits with 56 during the playoffs. That's pretty incredible right there to have a national predator, even though they're trying not to fall into the St. Louis game plan of being physical National Predator leads in hits of 56 hits in nine games played. That's that's, right. that's pretty incredible right there, and also nine block shots. So it shows that they have versatility as well to go along with that game plan. So no matter what they have to play with, 
they're able to get it done. And the, and the depth really shows as well that the depth they have. I mean, Terry Zolnerchuk has seen time on the second line. And that's a name that doesn't get thrown around too much, but he's a good dude, he's tenacious, and he had some speed to him. He had a breakaway goal against the Chicago Blackhawks. So when you have depth like that, Peter Laviolette's system shows that it's hard to prepare for that when you have a fourth line that can actually put the puck in the back of the net as well, and it's hard to find those matches, especially at home when the home team has the last change. I'll go back to the uh, the Weber Subban deal. It didn't and and you want to call it an even trade? I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Weber still had ten years left on his deal at years old when that that trade was made. Uh, I would say just being able to get away from that act and, and bring in a Norris Norris Trophy winning who is more dynamic offensively, um, aside from Weber's bomb from the blue line. Um, I, I say kudos to Nashville for making that. Sure. I, as they goes along, um, just being free of the last five years of that deal makes it a win for Nashville, no? Uh, it, it, it absolutely does. The, the biggest thing that can come back to bite Nashville is uh, some of the, the – if Weber does retire early, then there's a lot of money that Nashville's going to have to pay because it stays with the original franchise with the contract. Um, but in, yeah. ter- in terms of that, I'd say each team got what they needed. But, yes, I mean, for Nashville, right. it, is, it is a tremendous win because Subban's younger. He's more dynamic when it comes to what he can do with the puck. And in terms of the contract, it is more suitable in the long run for the Predators. But, but yes, ab- absolutely, it's, it's, it's better for the Predators in that fashion. I just think Montreal overall, in terms of what their needs and wants were, they can feel confident in that, but I know the fans will definitely not agree with that assessment in Montreal. <laughs> right, right. Um, that, that, that's an inter- interesting point because two of the biggest just straight-out hockey trades um, of the last few years have come from Nashville going with, uh, like you mentioned, the Johansson trade. How uh, How is your general manager, and I want to kind of segue into how the, how the general manager – might be shaping up to protect or expose some players for our Vegas Golden Knights here. Who 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 do you think might be uh, someone for us out in Vegas to keep our eye on uh, as we get closer to that June expansion draft? Sure, it's it's obviously and it's kind of funny in kind of monitoring the threads and the boards uh, for fan bases and the, a lot of players fans think they're very unique in terms of they're going to lose a player like you know every team's going to lose a player, and every expansion team's kind of gone through this. I mean, Nashville plucked players, Columbus plucked players, Atlanta did, Minnesota did. It's, it's happened. Just be glad that it's only one team. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to tell people, right. that instead of Absolutely. multiple teams in a span of three years, and then it really changes things. But but with Nashville, it's it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of good contracts on guys that could be available to right. us. Uh, mid-season, they extended Matt Irwin, a defenseman, who kind of rehashed his career with the National Predators and has been very solid on the third pairing. And then you have Kelly Yarncroke, who was signed for six years at $2 million apiece, and he can play any position on forward that you need him to, but has been very good in face-offs this year as well. But he can play anywhere from the first line to the fourth line. You can stick him anywhere. And he came to Nashville via the trade with David Leguan when, um, when that was happening when the Predators weren't going to make the playoffs and trying to get young again. And so I really think those might be the two players that you could look at is Matt Irwin on D, and I think that might be the – the, the dark horse candidate for Vegas to take because he'd be really solid. He's a good leader as well. He's great with the media and he kind of gets it in terms of what's needed for an expansion team. And that's where I think it's going to be really important that I know times have changed, but leadership is incredibly important in expansion. The predators had that they had veterans that knew what it was going to take to teach these young guys on how to form a team and understand that, Hey, you know what? We may not make the playoffs the first couple of seasons, but we're going to be competitive. We're going to build a base and a foundation for the future. And that's what's really important for a franchise starting off is to build that base and a foundation to establish a Vegas style of hockey. What is a Vegas style of hockey going to be? And that's where you want good guys in the locker room for that. Matt Irwin is that kind of guy. There's another name that's kind of floated around, and it could depend on contract situation if he intends to re-sign or extend in Nashville or not, and that's James Meal as he has one year left coming Ooh. up next season, that'll be his last year, that they could expose him as well if they choose to protect Kelly Yarncroke. Now, it's one of those, I think, long-shot things, but I would say if, for instance, Nashville doesn't intend on resigning him or James Neal doesn't intend on resigning, dangle him out there and you never know what's going to happen. But I do fully believe that General Manager David Poyle is going to find ways, as we all know things are going to be happening, and it's going to be a very exciting time with trades, going to find a way to protect the players that he wants to protect during the expansion draft. 
And I know there could be some some relations there with George McPhee based on past, and he doesn't want to get screwed over right. again, <laughs> like he had when he was with Washington. So I'm sure he'd be very, very very cautious on what David Poyle offers him. But I, I think those are three names that you can look out for. But I really think it's probably going to come down to potentially Callie Yarncroke, Matt Irwin, or even look at possibly Craig Smith or Colin Wilson could be out there as well. It really depends on what David Poyle decides to do because he really does like his American-born players, and that would be Colin Wilson and Craig Smith. Right, right, right. I, I think I think uh, Yarncroke is an interesting an interesting player for us to keep our eye on out here. Now, there's going to be so many, and we've already seen like Scott Darling moved to Carolina. Um, Mm -hmm. That way, you know, there's going to be so many moves after we've already done a couple of uh, mock drafts, but really, I mean, we could go right up to June 17th and there's going to be deals being made. Uh, And, and George, I, I know George is working the phones to, well, if you want to steer me away from that guy, second round pick might help me along towards this other guy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm interested to see what the final lists are uh, of who's available. And I really don't think that, it, you know, any of the mock drafts that are out there is, is going to be, you know, worth toilet paper until maybe the day <laughs> of the expansion draft, just because, I mean, face it, if you're, if you're Washington and, uh, you know, George has said, "Well, I'm I'm taking I'm taking your backup, and you can't talk him out of it." And someone else calls and says, "Hey, I'll give you a third for him." Well, you're not going to lose that player for nothing. You're gonna you're gonna take the third, right? Um, so that I mean, I, there 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 could be a whole lot of movement coming up between the end of the Stanley Cup and and the expansion draft. So the, you know, for everybody in the hockey media. Um, Buckle your seatbelts because it's going to be a crazy couple weeks in that for sure. Um, Chris, you got anything else for Justin this morning before I let everybody go and watch the rest of this hockey game? Uh, I guess just one last thing, uh, Justin. So you feel confident the Preds will wrap this up tomorrow? Uh, I really do. And unfortunately, they'd be able to be in St. Louis last night. Uh, but from based on the media members that I know that were there, the feeling in the locker room was ticked off that they were absolutely upset with themselves and still dialed in. They know that they didn't play to their potential. And they they even spoke saying, we just hoped we would win. And that is not the right style of play to hope you would win. You have to play. You play to win the game. You play to win the there game. There you go. <laughs> and they did not play to win the game. And so what I would expect from the Predators to come out, especially at home, feeding off that home crowd that seems like every Canadian media member is finally realizing again that, oh, wow, these National Predators fans really know how to rock it. We coming out and feeding off that 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 type of raucous atmosphere. I think the Predators are going to come out and be really dominant in that game, and I think it could be something like a three-one-four-one type of victory. All right, go, go, way to be bold, sir. Way to be bold. I like it. Um, <laughs> we're 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 just about out of time for this segment of the show, Justin. I want to thank you again. And if they do make it into the Stanley Cup Finals, if I'm not jinxing anything, I did use the word if we'd love to have you back on the show and break down, break down the Stanley sure. cups. Um, it's great to talk to you. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at Justin B Bradford and go on to amazon.com bordersbooks.com, whatever it is, make sure you pick up a copy of the making of Smashville. I, I did, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, shame on me, but it, I'm even Vegas fans who want to see how a franchise can be built in a, quote, non-traditional market, um, pick up a copy of the book, give it a read. It, it looks like it's going to be uh, a, a book worth reading. So, sir, thank you again for joining us, and we will talk to you down the road. Yeah, absolutely happy to join. And if fans can point out all six typos in that book, by all means let me know because there are six that we counted them, and it is embarrassing, <laughs> but it happens when you publish a book. So, <laughs> uh, You know, that's my pet peeve. I'm going to email you when I find them. <laughs> you do it, please do it, because it's pretty funny. There's, there's some that are hidden in there, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, if I if I can get all six, I might want a Predators T-shirt. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, okay. guys. All right, buddy. Thanks again. You have a good afternoon. Well, all right, Chris. That's another. Uh, I'm a chalk upper for you, sir. Mr. Bradford knows his Predators hockey, and uh, man, he's all over it once again. Another win for those of you that don't know. Chris is our content director at Vegas Hockey Podcast, and 
Uh, he does procure all, if not, most, if not all of our guests on a week to week basis. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, another home run, sir, with Mr. Bradford. Yeah, just this great guy and uh, really knows the Predators in the Western Conference really well. I think he summed that up uh, really good. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking for I, – I think we're going to get Preds and Duff. So, I think that would be a heck of a series. So, I'm looking forward uh, to that. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to – during these playoffs, we'd like to, uh, you know, have an, uh, go with the flow a little bit. So, we're going to see what – what would be a hot story for next week uh, in terms of next week's guests. But, uh, you know, I hope everyone will check out our show from last week on the NHL lottery, as well as the top of the NHL draft with the great Zach Devine. Uh, that, that show is both up on, it's up everywhere. SoundCloud, thehockeywriters.com, um, blog talk radio. So check it out. And as well as our, mock expansion uh, draft that uh, Mark alluded to before. Cold shows, uh, you can listen to them two months from now or maybe a little less than that. Uh, and they'd be still very relevant. And uh, again, out to our listeners, uh, you know, we really appreciate passing the word out in social media, you know, to give the biggest hockey podcast a try. It's a great, uh, for great hockey talk. So uh, we're, 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 we're asking our listeners to, to help out the show as always. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, to, and uh, I'm looking to see if the Capitals can dig deep and make this a series. Because I got to say, if, if they don't, uh, if they can't beat Ooh, the Penguins ugly. without their number one, without their number one goalie, without their number one defenseman, and without their captain, Sidney Crosby, I mean, when are they going to beat them? Never. Let me go back just a minute, though, sir. I wanted to uh, look look the show up. Uh, use the podcast app on your on your iPhones and leave us a review too. That that helps us keep things rolling along. And also, I want to shout out once again to the the people in Sweden, Finland, Norway, France, and the UK are now taking up fifteen to twenty percent of our audience every week. Man, we love you guys out there. It's uh, it's great to see the numbers growing from across the pond. Um, it actually kind of amazes me every week when I look and there's, you know, a couple more percentage points going up from, you know, however far, 10,000 miles away. And Chris and I are just a couple hockey geeks that like to get on the radio Saturdays and talk a little hockey before the game starts Saturday night. Um, we've, we really appreciate the, the people over there, um, spread the word to your buddies, guys and gals across the pond as well. Cause it's, that, that makes it fun for us to see that kind of growth in the show. Um, but yeah, I, I think blow up the Capitals if this is it. I mean, uh, all all the way. I mean, you not only that, but you can't beat them with uh, some, the guy who might may win a Vesna Trophy again. So, uh, and obviously Ovechkin. So if that, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know where you go at that point. If they lose the series in five, my friend. Uh, I think there could be a lot of changes on the Capitals with the coach to the GM. I think. From a cap standpoint, I, I, I don't see Oshie, Alsner, or Justin Williams back. Uh, I can see a lot of changes with that team. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty for sure. Um, no. What uh, – we kind of did the, 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 the what if on the, on the Predators. Um, go, go through the East. Let's, let's assume that the Penguins are going to advance. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm starting to get a little tickle. How do you see the Eastern Conference Finals shaking up? The Rangers suddenly look like a different team from the first half of that series. Yeah. Without we haven't even mentioned that yet. Yeah, no, they, they've shown their resiliency. I wouldn't count out, out Ottawa yet. I mean, obviously, I think it's 2-1 after the first period. Rangers, uh, Ottawa is a very, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Just when you think Ottawa is in trouble, that's when they come roaring back. But Having said that, I would say that most people would think the Rangers are going to find a way to win that series. I got to tell you, and this is not just an Eastern Conference statement, I don't see anybody beating the Penguins. I just think they're playing on another level. Uh, This is the way I would describe the Penguins' play this year, that they were pretty much uh, hand-in-hand the best team with the Capitals in the regular season. Capitals had whatever, four or five more points. And they've taken their game up about seven or eight notches 
in the playoffs. And uh, I just really don't. I mean, they don't have Crystal Tang, who played 30 minutes last year, to a cup final. No problem. We'll just use our other guys, and they'll do. Oh, Matt Murray tweaks himself before uh, before game one of uh, the playoffs. No problem. I'll play oh, well. Glory would just play great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sidney Crosby got hurt. No problem. We got Kessel. We got Malkin. I mean, and Connor Sherry's out. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, they're a machine. And, and when yeah. you look at it. <laughs> That's I a mean, good way to put uh, it. Uh, I mean, you look at it. I mean, why? You know, they got a call. Aglin. They got, they, they have Nick Cabino. They have Matt Cohen. They have all these young guys. And, and, uh, they, they just, they just, you know, they swarm at you. And, uh, uh, this is not an anti-Rangers statement. It's not an anti-anybody statement. I do not think there's a team left that could, I mean, push them even. Uh, the only thing that's going to stop the Penguins is if they get more injuries. And, like, for instance, Crosby can't come back or he comes back and he gets hurt. I mean, but uh, even without Crosby, I still think they would win the Cup. Um, so I, I, I do not see either, if it's Ottawa or the Rangers, I mean, I see Pittsburgh in five games in that series. I really do, and and uh, I, you know as well as can't the argue Ducks with that. And, and the as well as the Ducks and Predators are playing. I don't know. I, I really don't see anyone pushing them. Uh, I mean, I, I, when I say that, I mean yes. Do I think games will be close? Sure, but at the end of the day, do I think anyone will be able to take two games from them? I think that those other teams will have to play like their hair is on fire just to get two games from them. So I don't see that happening. All righty. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up, sir. I'm, I want to go catch at least a little bit of the early hockey game before I got some stuff to do this afternoon. So, uh, you know, <coughs> excuse me, sir. Starting to get a little tickle in my throat here. I don't like that. Um, it's hard to argue with that. They're starting to remind me of that, that, uh, 2012, 13, 14 Blackhawks team where it just doesn't matter what, you, what you do. Um, they're just going to win. Um, and yeah, if they get Crosby back, it might, might be even worse. So I will say, I do think if Pecorini can keep playing the way he has been, I think that might be the one team out of the, out of the West that can give them a battle at least. But anyway, um, make sure you make sure you catch all our shows on blog talk radio, iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Vegas Hockey Pod. Make sure you give Chris a follow for all of his Islanders content at the NL King. I'm Mark Warner for Chris Lisa for this week. We're gone. <laughs>